All right. So um, I'm Cal or Kalia, and I'm here with Jem. And uh, Jem and I met not too long ago. Um, and uh, some of our first discussions did center around um, universal salvation, which obviously is a favorite topic of mine. But um, in the course of talking, I also learned that Jem has a background in uh, philosophy, which was interesting to me because I'm sort of an amateur philosopher, but, but my background um, isn't there at all, even though at different times in my life, I've given serious thought studying philosophy. And Jem, uh, if you don't mind sharing like what you do, uh, my understanding is that you're a, a philosophy teacher among other things. Yeah, I, uh, I teach introduction to philosophy and introduction to ethics at, uh, at a regional community college, mostly in person, but also online, although it's been all online for, for a while. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, I have a master's degree in philosophy. Um, so it's like, you know, a little bit, a little bit extra beyond a bachelor's degree. It's, I'm not, I'm nowhere close to like having a PhD, like that level of expertise and specialization. Yeah. I've, I've got a background in philosophy. You could say. Yeah. Well, and, and don't you wear a couple other hats in addition to that? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I'm also, I work at a library and, uh, I, I live on and run a flower farm and wedding venue. So yeah, a lot of like, you know, three or four hats. Some people wear more hats than that. That's my number of hats. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, um, well, uh, what I thought I would do uh, in this interview is sort of what I did with a few of our mutual friends. Um, just ask about your personal journey uh, to faith and, and, the, and the particular kind of, of faith or theology that, that you ended up with. And in the course of answering this question, you can begin wherever you, know, you think the beginning is. And um, can talk about like just I don't know how you were raised or whenever you first became serious about whether God exists or whether in your own mind you have uh, determined to your own satisfaction that God actually exists because you know some people are you know uncertain right. about that uh, even if they go through the motions. So anyway, um, I'll turn it over to you. Um. Well, it's been a it's been a a lifelong process, really. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting question where it, it where where it started. I wasn't. I, I grew up. Both my parents were uh, theater academics, so my dad was a professor of theater, and, and my mom taught college theater and she, she taught a bunch of other stuff too. She, she was an adjunct instructor like me. So she ended up teaching a lot of different things like speech and communication and stuff. Um, and dad was kind of a Buddhist for a while. And then he became a, a, a kind of a, an atheist, a pretty hardcore atheist. Mom grew up um, in a Christian family and, and we went to church occasionally. Uh, but, uh, and she continues to go 
mostly during holidays because she loves to sing in the, in the choir. That was always the big thing for her. So that was really, when I was growing up, I associated church mostly with choir because I would go with mom to choir practice and stuff. And I liked being in church. I've always liked churches. But I was never, I was never a, a Christian believer as a child. Um, I remember, I don't know, I don't know why this was a crucial moment, but there was one time we were coming home from church and I like, I got it in my head that like, okay, I'm, I'm going to pray very, with a lot of belief. I'm going to pray that when I get home, every Game Boy game is going to be laid out across my bedspread, like, it, like in a comic book ad. And then I got home and that didn't happen. And I kind of like just, it wasn't that like my faith was challenged by that. I just kind of realized that I, I didn't believe in God. I was like, oh, that, I, I'm not actually playing this game at all. Like I, and I was, I was maybe, you know, that was like seven or eight or something. So I started telling kids at school that I didn't believe in God because I, I don't know what it was about praying for Game Boy games that made me realize that, but it, it turned it into like a, I just I just knew I didn't I didn't believe in that or that like I um, it was like okay it was like I demonstrated to myself through that weird materialistic prayer that I, I wasn't a Christian and so I started telling kids that and they there I lived in southeast Missouri so there so when I told kids at school that I didn't believe in God they were very shocked and like they would whisper about it I remember and you know that was kind of thrilling. And that really characterized all that I thought about religion for a long time was it was just sort of part of my identity as like a kind of an outsider in, amongst my peers. And in high school, I read uh, the first half of The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins, uh, which is the philosophical half. And then the second half is all about like all the terrible things that religion has been responsible for. And I, I, I just, I swallowed that hook, line, and sinker without any second thought, really. Because I had stopped, I had stopped going to church with my mom. Mom, mom never, like, made me go to church with her. But um, I, I always just went kind of out of obligation to her. Uh, stop me if I'm bouncing in, uh, off too many, like, weird, uh, unrelated childhood memories. But I'm trying to locate the beginning of this is this is pretty typical and, and the other thing is it's like you said sometimes the pivotal moments are central for for reasons that we don't really understand so I'm, I'm gonna have to echo peterson a little bit and say you you have to let people talk um it, to borrow a phrase from luke now ahead of their head uh just kind of bounce around right. and, and try to make sense of it because Ultimately, if this interview is successful, you will end up seeing something in retrospect that you haven't seen until now. Yeah. Great. Good. Well, that's reassuring. So, um, yeah, I was, 
I, I was a terrible student in high school, but I, I really started identifying with my intellect. And because I, I, I was relatively smart in my class. Um, and even though I would, I, I would flunk them all because I, I wouldn't do any homework. I, I was taking like physics and advanced chemistry and advanced biology. And, and, and I thought that I, I really wanted to be a scientist. And so I read The God Delusion and I was like, okay, so I'm, I want to be a scientist and I'm also going to be on this atheist team because this seems right. And it was really the only like thought about religion that I had ever been exposed to at all. Because like I said, like my mom's connection to religion was was very kind of visceral and well and based on like beauty um and i didn't really identify with that uh so my so my dad and i started having conversations about um richard dawkins and the god delusion and about you know evolution and stuff i really got interested in evolution i i, I still find evolution very interesting. Um, but I, I really sort of crystallized an identity around that, um, especially because where I grew up, it was a very radical way of, of thinking. So I felt, I think, because uh, I wasn't a very, you know, uh, outgoing or popular kid, I, I, uh, I got some satisfaction out of that. I mean, this would have been in the 2000s, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, at that early... time, evolution was still uh, sort of a flashpoint in the culture war, wasn't it? Right. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't really, it's, I, I wasn't, I don't, like these days, I'm so aware of like what those flashpoints are, like what those controversial topics are. Back, back in the day, I was really just responding to, what was right there immediately around me. But it's interesting to think, think about like the, the cultural context of, of when the God delusion came out. Because that was really part of this, like, I guess, this, this the, the new atheism, right? Which, which was like a, a cultural thing. At the time, it was just like, I've, I'm, I'm, I, keep, I keep glancing over because the shiny silver cover of that book, I, I always remember it. And it's, it's, it's still on my shelf. I, I still keep it. But, um, yeah, and it was very much like, like, and it was like, oh, this is going to be like the, the I'm grasping onto the spirit of the new age of like um, emancipation from religion, even though I had never really had any experience with religion, really. Um, I do remember I didn't like a lot of the things that I associated with uh, Christianity, largely because like when you're spouting off about not believing in God and then not that I was doing that a lot or anything, but when that's the identity that you sort of put forward, what you end up getting met with is that same element in, in Christianity, which is, you know, people who feel very strongly that they need to talk to you about um, why you're wrong. And which is the addicting quality of that, like culture war thing. It's like, um, really like going to battle and so I thought you know but it really it, there were things that made me sad like I had friends in high school who um 
uh, like a very dear friend of mine, when she found out that I was an atheist, uh, she was just overcome with grief and, 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 and started crying. And that was horrible. And uh, I came to understand that it was because of her, her belief that because I, I, I wasn't a believer, if I died, that, that I, would, I would be suffering. And, and that was real for her. She was imagining that. Um, and I, I, and I, so, so from early on, one of the things that repelled me about Christianity was, was hell. And, and what I saw the idea of hell doing in the minds of, of believers that I knew, um, because I'm very, I, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm, I'm very sensitive to that. It, 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 it really, uh, it troubles me that particular kind of like suffering in the mind, like suffering from images. Uh, I, I find that really disgusting. And uh, when I, uh, when I, when I see people going through that, it, it really uh, upsets me. And I, I think that's probably because I, 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 I suffer from similar, similar uh, pain sometimes. So was it the um, idea of hell itself which troubled you, or was it people's reactions to it, or both? Because I never, I never believed it at all, and I never understood. I, I, I never understood why anybody was being taught that. I, and so, to an extent, for you, religion was like a source of needless misery because it's creating this like unnecessary psychological right. conflict. Yeah, it's like why in the world are people, are children? being told this thing that is called, like because you see it in like in their eyes in their face like when they're see, having to see that stuff because i would ask my christian friends i would be like so do you think i'm i'm going, I'm going to go to hell and they would have to say yes and just the expression and the cognitive dissonance it was just beyond it was beyond belief for me i was so it was just so obviously cruel and um beca and because i didn't have any kind of belief in anything like that it just seemed so completely unnecessary um so but so anyway i, I because where i grew up in, in southeast missouri it was it, it, most of the um Christians who I interact with, you know, belong to fairly conservative traditions. And I think uh, I, maybe for, for, for a lot of them, I was, I was really the only person who was at least like, who was, who was saying anything like, I don't believe in God, even if there were probably plenty of people who were struggling with belief. Um, it at least wasn't something that you, you just said. Um, and uh, and so the the sort of the, the the rebellious satisfaction of it kind of started to wear off for that reason because I, I I saw I, I started to sort of see how how much like like, like it's a it's it's a tender part of people. 
um, and it's also the, the the source of a lot of real um, struggle and, and, and misery. And, and that changed my understanding of it a little bit. I still was very much interested in, I was like, okay, so, you know, in college, I, I stayed in the in my hometown to, to go to college and, um, uh, you know, I started a, a chapter of the Secular Student Alliance and um, we were doing things like we would just set up a table outside with a sign that said, talk to an atheist. You know, as if we're, you know, what a great way to change the world. Uh, really, it's just about, you know, forcing people to uh, listen to my uh, pseudo-philosophical um, diatribes. But um, because I really wanted there to be like conciliation and like, if that makes sense. To me it was personally, so... it's it's always made a lot of sense. Uh, uh, militant atheism. I I know that must weird some people out when I say that, but what I mean is, militant atheism is taking the question seriously. Right. And yeah, there might be there might be a certain degree to which your own philosophical grandstanding or self-aggrandizement enters in, but that is equally true of right. you know apologetics for example right so but 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 on the whole like i have you i view militant atheism as as something like a sane response to the question even if it's based on false premises right in my opinion right yeah yeah because that's yeah i, I think the 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 I tend I tend to emphasize the sort of negative motivations that I uh, always when I'm talking about you know why I did something but there really was a sense that I had that it of like a wound that needed to be closed because you know a lot of blood was issuing out of it and um and my, well, it's also like stuff my dad taught me when I was growing up about like, because my dad, while well, he was, he's very resistant or, well, that, uh, resentful or he has bad feelings towards Christianity in particular. But he did, he, he taught me the, the like, the biblical quotes that I still remember the most to this day, like, uh, uh, before you point out the speck and the others, I, uh, remove the log from your own he's a theater professor and he always say log in a, in a very like uh remove the log from your own i can remember it very clearly and that's always that awareness of like noticing this somebody else's shortcomings probably means that like that i also have a, a bad problem and like we need to figure out a way of helping each other like th through, through the, the like blindness. Um, that, that was like, that little quote was like, was like my moral universe really. But like, I thought of it as being like a, a very rational way of approaching things, I guess. Um, 
even though it's explicitly, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a biblical principle. But um, so I wasn't interested in 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 changing my mind about any of that. Although I really softened a lot towards, especially towards Christian people. Um, and I I like I. I felt really badly about, for instance, there was a, a traveling preacher who would come. He's a famous guy, Brother Jeb, or something. I think that's his name. He goes to college campuses and he, um, his famous bit is he, he'll have an extension cord uh, and he'll show how the male end of the extension cord plugs into the female end, but the male end won't plug into the male end. And then he sings a song about how it's not okay to be gay. Um, and he was sort of just like, people either hated him or thought that he was really funny. And I, I thought that it was completely terrifying that this guy and his family are like traveling around with this like desperate message and there's no, it's like, uh, he doesn't understand the, his audience at all. And his audience has absolutely no idea what's going on in his mind. Like they might as well be like in completely separate universes watching each other on TV. Like if, if that makes sense. And I wanted to like interview him and talk to him and his family, but and I reached out to him, and, but I, I just never ended up doing it. I like, I, I, was, I was getting really involved in the Secular Student Alliance, but then I was driving to, uh, uh, some national meeting in New York, uh, and I fell asleep at the wheel and totaled the car and very nearly died. And that was the last of that. So um, I never ended up really getting involved with the Secular Student Alliance. Um, so, you know, I think about that differently now that I believe in God. Uh, so I got interested in philosophy in college really towards the end of my college career because I kept, you know, I wanted to be a physicist, I thought, but it turns out you have to do a lot of really advanced math to do that. And I didn't want to do the homework. And so I ended up flunking a bunch of classes. And then I got into biology or computer science or math, but it always was just too much homework. But in philosophy, I, I took a logic class and I had a great logic professor. Uh, and I was, I was, you know, I was good at that class. Uh, and that was my first sort of really positive, like academic experience. And then I started taking philosophy classes and it turned out that like, I could basically just like sit around thinking for like a whole semester and then like, you know, at the midterms, you know, focus for a day at the end of the term, focus for a day and write a paper. And that worked out great for me uh, because of my poor work um, So really that's, <laughs> that's probably why I ended up in philosophy. But th then I got, and, but there's also, so again, there's me focusing on the negative part, part of that motivation. It was also like, I was interested in physics because like I really loved 2001, a space odyssey, really fundamentally. And um, the feeling that that movie, of, of the feeling of like approaching a grasp of like an understanding of mystery. Um, and that was really, uh, that, that's where I wanted to go with my life. 
but then it turns out that that's not really what physics is about. But philosophy kind of turns out is sometimes kind of like that. Um, and so I got really interested in philosophy of mind, especially, uh, I, I was really into the Churchlands, Paul and Patricia Churchland. I don't know if, if you're aware of their work and Illuminativism. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, at first I was mostly- uh, To they, explain to the audience briefly, it's, it's some thesis that uh, consciousness or you know, the subjective point of view, qualia, whatever you wanna call it, is not necessary for a complete factual description of reality, something to that effect. Right, right. Uh, well, yeah, and also that the, 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 their point, so, so the two things that really always fascinated me about, about them, Paul Churchland Paul especially has published the, or he did in the 90s, some of the most compelling uh, illustrations of uh, this debate in cognitive science between like the connectionists and the classical uh, computationalists. The classical computationalists kind of believed that um, the mind is kind of like a classical computer program with an algorithm. Um, but the connectionist movement, and I don't know how, how relevant or, they I know that um, cognitive science has kind of moved on to like dynamic systems theory and stuff like that. But the connectionist idea was that the mind is represented in the brain in a distributed way, like uh, through, well, through a neural net, where unlike in a classical computationalist system, it's really hard to say like where each part of the mind is really being represented. It's all sort of um, represented in this shared uh, massively distributed network. Um, and that I found unbelievably interesting. Um, and so I got interested in, and, and for that reason, they, they, they believed that like things like beliefs and desires, these like psychological concepts will uh, eventually be eliminated in the sciences in favor of something else, which I still, still think is a very interesting idea. I don't think that the way we think about beliefs and desires, I still think of the, uh, those ideas of belief and desire to be kind of crude ways of thinking about our minds really. Um, but I, I really, I, that, that's, that's stuff that I was interested in, in a long time ago. I don't remember all that much about it. But so I got really interested in the, the mind uh, and the philosophy of mind and cognitive science because of that overlap with sciences. It was a good kind of gateway drug to <laughs> go from the sciences to into an area of philosophy. Um, I, I got... I always wanted to be an academic of some kind because my dad was, and I liked the lifestyle. <laughs> uh, not that it comes with a lot of money, but you do get, uh, it, it seemed like a very humane occupation, um, just teaching classes. Uh, I'm, I'm working at a school, never ever leaving school. It's so strange that that's what I wanted given what a terrible student I was. Um, but so 
I, I, I went to grad school. I went to Western Michigan University uh, in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, I love Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, it was a lot of fun to live there. Uh, but there weren't really any, so the program that I went to, I'm trying to think of what like the salient parts of this uh, part of my life are, but um, there were no uh, philosophy of mind people in this program, really. No, no, uh, no specialists like in cognitive science or anything. It was a very small department. It, for, for a terminal master's degree program, it was, was reasonably well thought of. Um, but uh, I, ne I never really ended up learning that much about like contemporary issues in cognitive science or anything. I, I ended up just kind of focusing on my own on consciousness, like through David Chalmers, um, primarily. Uh, but I, I did end up learning a lot about um, the metaphysics of modality. So like possibility and necessity and stuff. And that's an important part of the story in a moment. Yeah, um, because, because Chalmers was basing his arguments about the metaphysical nature of consciousness on intuitions about modality. And he was probably yeah. Really drawing on the work of, of Kripke and possible world semantics. So this idea that I can imagine some possible world in which consciousness does not coincide with uh, brain activity. And therefore that means that consciousness must not uh, necessarily be physical. And if it's not necessarily physical, then that means like based on some kind of axiom S5 possibly necessarily is necessarily something like that, <laughs> then it is not physical. It was some dubious logic like that, but it was very influential. And I'm not entirely sure that it's wrong. Um, no, uh, I'm but, not entirely uh, sure It's about not the way I would go about proving it <laughs> myself, but, but, and I, I might, I'm probably mischaracterizing his argument a bit, but, no, that was but um, it's crazy how, see, I haven't said this yet, but as you're going through your story, I guess it's because you and I are the same age and in some general sense, like same demographic, but I have an unusual biographical or autobiographical detail myself, which is that I was raised Hare Krishna. Uh, I was raised Hi. in a very insular community with a very different religion, but I lived in the same time and place as you. And man, there is so much stuff between your, and, uh, your story and mine, which is parallel. Because at, at the same age as you, I was very much interested in the same topic um, fr from a very materialist point of view, which was inadequate to explain consciousness, but, but not really for the reasons that I think Chalmers thought or still thinks. But I, I haven't, I've never really done those philosophers uh, uh, full justice I've never, I've never actually really knuckled down and read what they well, said. Yeah, and the thing, the thing to say positively about about Chalmers is that he's at least up up until his book, The Character of Consciousness, which was the last at w which he wrote, I think, in two thousand eleven or two thousand ten. He, he's very agnostic about, um, like what the issue means. 
but I mean, his real contribution is uh, the, the, the so-called hard problem of consciousness, which is the point, which really the, the point of that is just pointing out this gap, like, which again, go, sort of going back to the, the feeling that I had about this wound that was open that, that needed to be closed. It, it's, a, it's a manifestation of that same thing. It's like there's one element of culture, in this case, philosophical culture, which says um, we are done with the mind or the spirit or consciousness because we have a complete physical explanation, which whatever, that's a delusion anyway. It's not even true. We have a complete physical explanation of the universe, but we had a lot and of the other side of pretend that, that we did right. then it right. and the church wins and uh, but they but but I I'm sorry see that's what I said what I said earlier I don't know if this was recorded or not but when I'm very interested in what my guests have to say that's when I butt in so <laughs> I shouldn't but no, you're, you're right. talking you're talking about Chalmers took a stand and said no I think this is actually a very this is actually a problem we have to take right. it seriously and the crazy thing about it is it's really just an observation of an enormous gap. Like, there, well, here's where one science explanation stops abruptly without continuing. And then there's a big gap. And here's where the other side's explanation stops abruptly without any explanation. So you can, you can take consciousness as real um, and and move with it as far as you can to a point where it try, is trying to meet up with the physical explanation, but it never gets there. So there is this explanatory gap. And I mean, the, the, the really startling thing about his point of view is that it's like, well, here are the reasons to expect that this is like uh, an unbridgeable gap, at least in the terms that are available to us now. Like there's no physicalist terms that can that, that can bridge this gap between the physical explanation and the existence of consciousness. You know, I guess that, that whether or not there is that unbridgeable gap, it depends a lot on the assumptions that you're you're coming to that question with. And and I don't know if philosophy is still like this. Probably is, but at at, at that time especially, it was really based a lot on intuitions. And what Dennett satirized is intuition pumps. You know, it's like, like I have this intuition that right. such and such. And oh, but I have this intuition. And, and um, uh, you know, if, if, if I can imagine some world in which they're separate, that means they can't be identical. Well, if they were identical, would there be a reason why they were identical? Is there a reason my, why my hand is my hand? If I ask that question, it's like I'm a, starting with the assumption, my hand is my hand. Why is my hand my hand? Implies possibly my hand is not my hand. But wait, I began with the stipulation that it is. So it's like, unless I yeah, rule that thing out from the... It's the it's the reason why there's never been like a solution to the problem of the freshman intro to philosophy student. Because fundamentally, it, it's all of philosophy is reliant on some intuition pump. The, the, the first principles of, of, and this is an opinion, it, it seems like an inescapable problem of philosophy that it's so like, I mean, and I remember reading a paper. 
Cal, I lost your audio completely. Oh, it says you're connecting to audio. Can you hear me now? Yes. If there was no reason for that error to happen. But I was going to say, no, I, I mean, I think the point was made by, by this guy named Diablo in a paper I remember reading. It's like, you're going to undercut conceivability as a basis, you know, for your uh, uh, conclusions about the metaphysical nature of consciousness, physical or not physical. In the end, you only have conceivability itself with which to do that. And so that is kind of like, if I'm going to go after intuitions, a lot of the time it's, you know, it's, it's drawing on the same kind yeah. of, but. but then it needs to, and I, you know, he's a brilliant guy, I guess, you know, <laughs> that's the consensus, but <laughs> like he very clearly wants to just be clear of all that stuff. He wants to be clear of, consciousness and its mysteries he wants to be clear of the issues of of conceivability and intuition and and not be troubled by the fact that they have to be there that it's actually you just have to sort of rewind your thought process up to the point where it's relying on a bit basic like issue of conceivability or intuition um because if you go that way and start to kind of dig around at what intuition or conceivability are, um, you end up with some very strange things that don't seem as like solid and ordinary as uh, a scientific explanation. Um, and I think that I think that there's terror about that right now in general in in, in our culture. Would you say that 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 Chalmers and and his ilk basically won the day in that particular? That's my feeling about it. I feel I, like I'm, I've been out of touch for. But what, what was that? I'm sorry. I feel like I feel like um, the the philosophical zeitgeist is headed more strongly now in the direction of panpsychism. Yeah, um, and oh, I yeah. think that Chalmers and his friends were pretty influential in in um completely yeah I, I, I think in the end at the end of the day they they won that debate um uh at least as measured by you know the direction that everybody wants to go now uh, right. whether or not they did so with valid arguments is you know i my sense is they had invalid arguments but they had the right conclusion and that and um but anyway, that that's just that's just my opinion. But at any rate, it looks like they won the day, and that that there is the sense. Yeah, I, I, I have that sense too. Um, and when I hear David Bentley Hart talk about how panpsychism is in, is in vogue, that uh, that seems like the trajectory that things were sort of generally headed in. There was uh, when I was in grad school, there were generally like. Uh, like a handful of fairly stodgy people like Jerry Fodor who were kind of um, or, or, or Daniel Dennett who were kind of still trying to defend it 
what was pretty obviously becoming an outmoded way of thinking about the mind. Baby boomer materialism. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and and now I guess things have moved on. It's it's interesting. Um, and you, you brought up panpsychism. I even when I was still in college, I I I I don't and I don't remember what exactly caused this, but I suddenly th- thought, well, it's it's obviously it's going to turn out that like the solution to this problem is that consciousness is in some way like just ubiquitous. Um, and I I was really interested in panpsychism. I was actually I was working on a my writing sample for PhD programs was going to be about panpsychism. And I really, but I I mean, unfortunately, I guess I I didn't really, there were no, there was nobody on the faculty who was uh, really interested in that particular, uh, one of my favorite professors in grad school knew plenty about the metaphysics of that issue, but I, I was really just kind of working on it on my own. Um, but it's so, it's so interesting to see now that like it was an idea that was, cause I, I thought that it was a very unpopular idea. In fact, the only defense of it that I ever read was in, in grad school, Galen Strawson published this paper called um, Consciousness and Its Place in Nature, I think, which is really an, you know, in all humility, I, I'm not putting myself in judgment of Galen Strawson, who's been an accomplished enough philosopher, but it was really bad paper um, and really very poorly written, I would say, um, compared, to, compared to his other work, even. Um, was it arguing and, that consciousness has a place in nature, essentially? Right. Well, I mean, he was arguing against... He was arguing that a, a f- version of panpsychism, his version of panpsychism, was really the only possible physicalist way of uh, finding a place in the model for consciousness. I remember oh. there were a lot of attempts to to sort of unite physicalism with uh, an essentially anomalous, uh, you know, and, and basically non-physical but semi-physical uh, conception of, of consciousness, like uh, uh, Donald David's, Davidson's anomalous monism. The idea that we can, we can say, well, consciousness doesn't reduce to anything physical, and yet it's related to the physical via psychophysical laws, which are, even if not physical in the sh- or material in the strictest sense, they are physical or naturalistic. And, you know, and there's the bridge. That's how we can tie these two things together. Right. I remember I wasn't buying it. <laughs> I thought well, it has yeah, to be something material in order for it to be physical. But that was just me at the, at the time in my early 20s. It just starts to become kind of obvious to me that we're just trying to like use the physicalist terminology uh, and hold on to it while still, it looks like we're trying to have our cake and eat it too. A philosopher that I really like, and I'm sure other people have said this, but a philosopher whom I really like, who is really obscure, so you wouldn't have heard of him, he's super obscure, no, I'm not trying to be a, a philosopher hipster, but but uh, this guy is, for whatever reason, uh, very, uh, he, well, he's, oh, he's, he's always been outside of academia, his name is Chris Langan, and I, he's very controversial in terms of his political. Yeah, this is, he's your, he's your main guy, I know. 
I, yeah, I, I don't I agree with all his, all his views, but um, but uh, in, in metaphysics, he's he's pretty impressive. And and he said like basically, all this stuff was, um, was it, you know what what we were talking about like the attempt to assimilate uh, an essentially you know non physical consciousness into physicalism. This was just this is just a recapitulation of Cartesian dualism. Um, and it's like pretending to make progress. We never actually made progress. We're going to call it property dualism rather than substance dualism and imagine that there's a difference. Well, even Descartes never imagined that his substance was, you know, spatio-temporal. And if you have like, or at least not spatial, and if you have a non-spatial substance, how is that meaningfully different from a property to begin with? This is, it's like right. it's made up pretend progress in place of re, like they haven't gotten beyond Descartes and right. it, they're putting uh, Descartes before the horse, if you will. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think I probably agree with that. Um, I, it was some of my own ideas intermixed with Langan. All Langan said was that they're just basically recapitulating Cartesian dualism. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, uh, I thought that the solution might end up being just sort of admitting that all physical properties are uh, properties of consciousness. Like that was the form of panpsychism that I really was, I really found compelling. Yeah, because I because it just seemed to me like a, what's that? You'd like you have to you have to you have to push the question inward. You have to turn turn it all the other way around. You got to instead of reducing mind to physics, you have to reduce physics to mind. You know, like that's kind right, of where we have like yeah. Donald 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 Hoffman now. You know, like with his um. No, I don't. I, I oh, don't know. okay. Yeah, um, but um, but anyway, but but yeah, you. I mean, like that's kind of the direction that like the philosophical consensus went. It's like we have to we have to turn this whole thing around. We have to stop. And it's kind of obvious because it's just it's theoretically unlovely to have a dualism. Um, David Bentley Hart says, uh, "Oh, it's a very clever. It's a play on uh, nature affords a vacuum." Um, but it's like uh, uh, f philosophy abhors a dualism, um, which, is a, which is very interesting that that's true. Um, but the sort of the first, the thing that I was beginning to find kind of frustrating about the whole field was how everything in, in the end, in, in the sort of metaphysics of mind, in the analytic tradition, um, comes down to like questions about like theoretical virtue, parsimony, and now that I'm thinking back on it, it wasn't it wasn't because it's like we need to bring consciousness into our metaphysics, and we also we all but like with consciousness needs to come like humanity and like the personal like existence of, of, of human beings. And, and really I was, I, 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 what I came to realize is that I was very, 
I was never really very invested in the whole analytic philosophical game at all. It was, it was, it was almost kind of like the moment where I realized that as a kid that I, I wasn't a Christian. It's like, I'm not really playing this game with my heart. Um, and I, I met when I was in grad school, for some reason, um, there were a lot of uh, Christians in the program. And I think maybe that's, I think it's, it's probably quite common for um, very, you know, intelligent analytical Christians to, to, to go into philosophy. And so it's a natural place, but like my, my office mates, I, I had my two office mates. One was this a German, uh, young German man who was, who was Christian. He, he, he believed amongst other things that um, it was always morally wrong to break any law um which was uh which is a very uh, german way of thinking <laughs> um but anyway i'm just, I'm, I'm just i'm in my mind i'm reminiscing about I, I have very tender feelings towards all these people um kolya uh but and 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 so my office mates were christian and, and the the close friends that i made there were, were christians too um and i uh, they taught me a lot of things, partly just by never, ever really engaging me about religion at all. Um, we were, we were quite close friends. And, and I, when I would ask them questions about their belief, they, they would talk to me, but I never felt any kind of, um, pressure of any kind from them. Uh, and, and we and we just became very close. Um, and they would go through things, and I I, I would see them, um, you know, li living their lives. And and I started to understand more about Christianity just by being exposed to them. It always almost reminds me of um, I don't know where this observation comes from, but that um, in in ancient times in the early church communities of Christianity were um, it, it was noteworthy to pagans how much they loved each other uh, and that this was sort of what's what set them apart in people's minds and, and I, I had that experience with them um, and my friend Cameron I, I asked one time about hell because it was on my, it was always on my mind when I was talking to Christian. Because it just seemed so, like I couldn't imagine living with that idea. Um, and he was the first person who told me, you know, some people believe uh, in 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 eternal conscious torment, but there are a, a wide variety of beliefs about hell, um, and some people, in fact, believe that uh, nobody ends up permanently in hell. Um, and I, I, I honestly didn't really know that at all. Um, nor was I really aware that there was really like such a depthful tradition of Christian thought. I, I had a very shallow understanding of, like I thought Christian intellectuals were essentially just like creepy people who were trying to make up like, uh, arguments and reasons to like keep the uh, believers entrapped you know and to yeah, lure we, we came from a background where 
the only public Christian intellectual who we really saw was like William Lane Craig. And what's William Lane Craig's response to the, the question of the, the, the fate of the unevangelized? You know, what about all those Chinese people who never heard about Jesus, you know, uh, prior to uh, the year zero? And he just said, well, you know, blah, 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 Molinism. Uh, and maybe what if God uh, providentially arranged things so that everybody who would never believe uh, uh, in Jesus, if they heard about him, just was placed in times and places where the word never came anyway. And, and it's so like, it's, it was this very sort of, if you'll pardon the expression, it was this really ass backward part before the horse seeking reasons to justify what was morally strange rather than offering alternatives to the moral strangeness. It is, it's just like Daniel Dennett just is, is sitting there and kind of just, waving his arms around and trying to cast a spell. It's the other side. It's the same worldview. It's just on the other side of the fence. That's, that's, that's almost word for word a David Bentley Hart quote. Like that, that, you know, William Lane Craig and Daniel Dennett, they're like in the same uh, thought space. They're in the same religious universe, but they're just, you know, on different sides of the fence. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You're 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 exactly right. Um, it's funny. I had uh, I had a class. One of the famous, quote unquote, famous uh, or or well known members of the faculty was this guy who had. Uh, he, he was interested in the philosophy of physics. Uh, he was a real expert on cosmology, um, but he had a he had this long debate in print with William Lane Craig about um, cosmology and religion. And I got to, I, so I took a course from him where we went through this book, which was just all the, their back and forth. Um, uh, and essentially, well, I don't remember a lot of the argumentation, but man, it was real far away from anything I consider to be religion now. Um, but I, I, but I did, I, unfor unfortunately that faculty member is, has now passed away and he was, he was, he was suffering from madness. He, he, I don't know what his diagnosis would be, but I drove him home one time and he, um, to, in order to locate his apartment, he had to leave a bright orange trash can lid in the window. Um, and because it was after dark, he was having trouble seeing it. So I was just driving around this apartment complex with him trying to find it. And, um, and there was something, uh, I don't know, emblematic or there was something so striking to me about that class and, and that experience I had with him. Just the, just the desolation of it all and the, the lack of humanity. And one of the things that William Lane Craig seems to, to insist upon is like God knows God knows what's going to happen and this has all been 
set in stone as the plan from the beginning. I know that that's probably a misrepresentation. I'm talking about an impression that. It, that it's it's, it's not, it's, I mean, I, I think that's basically correct in the sense that, that as a Molinist, William Lane Craig believes that God has the so-called middle knowledge. He knows everything that would happen if. Yeah, right. So yes, everything is known in advance. Right. Human freedom is 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 um is part of the equation, but it's the same as like me knowing what a uh, a toddler is going to do. My knowing what they are going to do doesn't theoretically reduce or eliminate their free will. Nonetheless, it's like I know everything. Right. And yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, because that was really the crux of, of part of the ar argument of that that book was that uh, Quentin, my my professor, he 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 was arguing that because a singularity, in principle, what arises from a naked singularity in the universe is is in principle unknown. That was his key argument that it would be a. a a completely irrational choice for a creator of a universe with some goal in mind to choose a, a big bang singularity because it doesn't matter what your plan is what there, there's very there's very little chance that what comes out of the big bang in terms of the, the physical laws of the universe and, and the history of the physical history of the universe is very low probability that you'll get what you want and then smith uh, so, so rather William Lane Craig essentially engaged him on that point um, and their debate was about whether it was essentially possible for God to have this mental knowledge that you're talking about with Craig, uh, with Craig sort of insisting and I don't remember the technicalities of it but to me it was just such a I mean the, the idea now to me of uh, of a way of looking at the universe that could be incompatible with like that sort of creation it, it just seems like a very it's it saddens me to think about god in limited terms like that like somebody starting a like somebody rolling marbles or like somebody who you know it like starts things off like a like a Rube Goldberg device. Um, That's excellent. Yeah, and, uh, and and then having that experience with 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 my professor and his and his state of mind, um, it informs some of the ways that I feel about the the products of analytic philosophy, this way of thinking, and and. Uh, uh, I got out. It's it's maybe not one of the reasons why I got out of that field, but um, I I didn't feel good about the the direction. I, I didn't at least didn't. I, I no longer felt drawn in that direction. I think you're. Um, I think you're almost being too kind, or or being too charitable to analytic philosophy. Because I mean, I'll say this. It's just my own opinion. There's like nothing more cursed than that. All those, all those symbols, all that uh, appropriation of, of of math, and the appearance of rigor, and it, at the end of the day, yeah, it's like it can be about the most consequential subjects imaginable, and yet manage to completely miss the point. Like what you're talking about with like the back and forth between Craig and uh, Quentin, 
but and 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 the 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 heartbreaking story of his dementia. Now, like if you want a real argument against God's existence, take the existence of dementia. Yeah, because everything else, all the other suffering, I can justify in terms of moral growth. But if one's whole sense of self and narrative itself breaks down, where is the repository for that moral growth? Like that, you know, entropy can be justified with reference to a kind of moral progress of, you know, the, the, the psychological subject, uh, which is like, it's like, it's like a narrative line that, you know, can be vectored out of this space time and into some kind of higher dimensional spiritual reality. But, you know, if, 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 if what's happening here, you know, it, it, in, in, in the, the entropy of the space time continuum itself is, unraveling and 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 it blowing away like dust uh the mind uh, it, uh whose moral growth is supposedly the objective of this entire creation right what then um you know and, and, and it's right. like that's a that's a real uh argument and it's like it's like like that's a terrible contrast too like you, you know you've got like this this whole much ado about nothing kind of fake uh or at least like irrelevant <laughs> Uh, right. Technical, technical exchange. Then you're also driving this guy home, and he's looking for the the giant. I mean, like that's you know that's 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 terrifying. That that right. It is that terrifying. Will, that will take your faith in God. Yeah, and it was it was yeah. It's very it's very tragic. But um, so I uh, and and the the other the other person that we studied. I, that I ended up studying a lot, even though I was never interested in the subject, was uh, was David Lewis um, and his on the plurality of worlds. His, yeah, his, yeah, he was a fascinating madman. Yes, <laughs> I, and uh, I mean, I didn't realize how relevant his work was going to be for me moving on, but um, I, I ended up learning a lot about modal realism. And, uh, and how compelling it is, really. I mean, from an analytic perspective, uh, that book on the plurality of worlds, it's almost, I, I feel like it's the, the highest accomplishment of analytic philosophy. In my, in my limited, admittedly, in limited exposure. Um, but he takes essentially the principles of uh, theoretical virtue and convincingly argues that everything conceivable is as real as what we experience as reality. Yes, and um, he said that that actuality is a dexical re relation, such that you know, in our actual world, right. it's actual to us because we're here. But to the the denizens of of a possible, what is from our perspective a possible world, their world is actual, right? And to them, and and so it's a kind of um, uh, it's 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 a relative thing. And he held that, it, yes. you know, there's like an infinite, a real sort of actually existing infinity of possible worlds. Right. And it's, it's, it's even more explosive in its ontology than like the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. According to the many worlds of, uh, interpretation of quantum mechanics, it's just yeah, kind of like right. a spilling out of all the possibilities that might have happened in a world like this one. But yeah, um, there was there was this really obscure old school philosopher. His name was Alexius Meinong, 
And Mainong said, like, if you have the concept of the Golden Mountain, that means there's there's the Golden Mountain. Like it, yeah. it exists outside the mind in order for you to have that concept. Yes. It's 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 much more like that than it is right. even like the the already explosive ontology of uh, man, man, many worlds. Right. And but like theoretically a very useful in analytic philosophy, it's very useful theory. But morally it's unimaginably hideous. And, null, and, and nullifying um, because, I mean, there are infinitely many worlds where you and I have this conversation and uh, it's productive and it's a nice world. Like even in many of them, it's a um, improbably nice world after this, you know? Um, this podcast becomes uh, a global phenomena uh, just completely unaccountably and we get to decide, uh, you know, world government issues from now on, you and me. So there's, there's many great worlds like that, but there's also for every uh, great world like that, there's a world where just unaccountably like this exact moment in the conversation, we're just plunged into meaningless, endless suffering and uh, confusion. There's like, we just, we have clown makeup on, just instantly, for some reason, there's a infinitely many worlds like that. There's infinitely many worlds where any where everything happens. Like there's there's absolutely no constraint on what is real. And some people think that the the many worlds interpretation of like quantum mechanics leads to what you just described because the number of universes there is theoretically infinite and so it must embrace every possibility but if you're sharp you'll notice that that doesn't actually follow that you know there can be a set which is infinite and yet exclude systematically many things like the set of uh, whole numbers is infinite and yet it excludes all fractional numbers so it's not because it's not just because the set is infinite that it truly encompasses or contains every possibility right. however in in lewis ontology you would get absolutely everything crazy like that. There would be an uncountably infinite. So there's there's like a, there's there are countable and uncountable infinities, and there would be mm -hmm. an uncountably infinite uh, plurality of worlds in which not just everything. So there there are worlds of nomic possibility where it's like everything that could happen given the physical laws of this universe. But it's far far beyond that. What he's talking about. He's talking about anything conceivable anything um and, and there are even some philosophers who argue be, for uh realism beyond that where it would include the reality of impossible worlds as well um and and the problem with all this you know from my standpoint is if you say something is real you know reality as a predicate i'm going to parrot langan here a little bit uh however un unintentionally but but you know, reality as a predicate would be defined on its complement. To be a little bit Wittgensteinian here, you know, if there's only right and no wrong, then that means you don't have either one. And so, you know, if, if, if absolutely everything is real, including the impossible worlds, then suddenly the word real doesn't mean anything anymore because there's no complement for it to be distinguished against. But also just like from the moral lunacy standpoint, it's like if there is a God, and he's allowing all this wacky stuff to be real. Uh, one would assume on sort of humane grounds that you know, he, he should not, 
allow certain worlds to be. And, and yet, you know, for me, that, that gets into other areas, but I'm already interjecting a lot, but I guess at this point, well, yeah, but there, is there's... Like, like, how did, how did your Christian friends and how did your exposure to these uh, sort of more rarefied uh, philosophical ideas, what role did that, or what effect did that have in terms of, if any, in terms of leading you to believe in God where before you had always been sort of uh, habitually or reflexively a, a, an atheist? Habitually, yeah. Um, it ended up being very, like, concretely in a very strange way relevant uh, later on. It, the, like, modal realism, I was never really a modal realist, I wouldn't say, hey, but I, like, I had a very good friend who was a Christian, uh, Cam, he, he, he really, uh, he really got into that stuff, and I, I don't know if he ended up being a Luigian modal realist or not. Um, I was just alarmed, that Luigian modal, modal realism alarmed me because it's like, I mean, the next, if I become a modal realist, the next time like I give a homeless person change, I have to also acknowledge that like in an infinite ways, I am simultaneously or my doubles in an infinite, in an uncountably infinite number of ways are humiliating, killing uh, th this person right now. Like there, every particular of my life is, only like one of the necessarily existent variations on and, and like I mean, if philosophy I, leads to this you know like this is the true terminus of philosophy as dementia or madness like now there is no more reality criteria now everything is just unintelligible it's just it's just devolving into this in this pure static or white noise of you know because like absolutely everything is is sort of is like it's like both x and not x which is like logically equivalent to neither x nor not x it's where the infinity and the void sort of become similar yes. and, yeah. and, and and like that's that's a really horrible terminus for philosophy well, and this, the idea that. that that we would we would be arguing about that but it also blows not, away a lot of all the baby boomer like materialist assumptions right. that one started with well, and how can you sit in a room and argue about whether or not my infinite doubles are uh, cruelly murdering, you know, all, all my friends and family? Like, how can you sit in a room and argue about that without screaming and tearing your hair out and and uh, and 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 losing your mind? And because that's what, really what it all means, like. At the end of the day, we all leave the conferences and go back to uh, our hotel rooms and try to sleep as just you know little baby boys and girls. You know, we we take our we take our antidepressants, we drink our I, IPA, and we watch Rick Rick and Morty. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's a nightmare, and it's, I think I, my impression yeah. is that for David Lewis, it was a nightmare. He wrote a a, a paper called uh, "How Many Lives Has Schrodinger's Cat," which is actually about um, the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. And, uh, he, 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 and I've, I, it's been many years since I, I looked at it, but essentially he says, well, if this interpretation of quantum mechanics is true, it's possible that our consciousness, uh, our experience of this will be 
so our consciousness continues on through this the, this world that, that we inhabit until we reach a point where we might die but obviously in that in those worlds our consciousness doesn't continue so we continue on in the worlds where we remained consciousness in that history of the world and this just goes on and on and on to the limits of the possible of the, the the physical laws so you know just by quantum thermodynamic miracles your body and mind will survive the death of absolutely everything else until you are the last inhabitant of a world uh dying of heat death um and, and this is the point this of view, is like almost indistinguishable from a psychedelic trip right uh, and, yeah. and, and, but like it's 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 i mean like it is it's a great example like in my own case i know there was a time i mean it wasn't very long ago it was about a year and a half ago when i was experimenting with psychedelics and trying to find some way out of my materialist categories into you know like what i could rationally into some rationally comprehensible like uh understanding of the afterlife was there anything like that for you or did it always remain sort of uh shall we say uh uh sober uh and and and, and straight laced um and and um purely rational uh your your pursuit of uh, i, I have for whatever food. reason i have very rarely ever had feelings of anxiety about my about my survival um uh like beyond death for other people i I, I think it's because there's, I'm, there's, I'm still very much a child in that part of my mind, and it's just in, my my own death is still inconceivable to me to the point where um, it doesn't really exist. But the death of other people exists for me, and I, I I have anxiety for them, and I I try like I would think, well, at a certain point, computation will become so perfect that it will become possible for a computer to um, rewind time and perfectly simulate a person who has long since died. So it's guaranteed that my mom and dad will one day uh, live again. And even if they suffer in, in death and despair, um, uh, a computer God will inevitably arise uh, that can bring them back. A lot of people believe this now, or transhumanism is like their religion, and this is not all so different from uh, from Nietzsche's idea of the eternal return it's itself. Probably really fallacious, but like the the amount of matter in the universe is finite, and yet time is infinite. Therefore, at some point in the future, everything that is now right. must be recapitulated again. Right. Um, or you know, theoretically, in an even better form or way than it was when it well you know while it's happening right now or when it first came into being if time has any meaning in this uh sort of scheme but let me just ask you do you do you believe in god rationally or is that something that you feel in your heart or neither i i i believe in god uh as my as my friend uh rationally well let me i i can i can make a good transition to that part of the story actually so 
I left grad school and for years I I really didn't develop philosophically very much at all. I um I I knew that I was really dissatisfied with that with this analytical frame of mind that that we're talking about though. Um and I was kind of disgusted with it. I have to admit that part of that it must have been a little bit of bitterness because like even though it was my choice not to continue on in philosophy, it was like a career failure. Kind of. I, I kind of needed to just be like, well, that's all just trash. And that's why I, you know, that's why I stopped. But really, it was fundamentally, it was like, this isn't taking me anywhere that's helping me. Um, and uh, for me, God ended up being like help that arrived that I then had to kind of retroactively like find all the rational uh, foundation for so that my rational mind would give me permission to experience the, the help that I was being given. Um, and I can go into that. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit murky um, and, and it's like a long period of time, but um, I, I entered, so I, I, I lived in Chicago for a few years. I, uh, I didn't really get up to much. Um, I, I, I partied a lot with my roommate uh, and <laughs> we, we sat around watching YouTube videos and, and, uh, and I worked for a moving company and uh, like I restore, I was restoring axes in the basement of this apartment building and selling them on eBay. It was a very strange time. I wasn't really, I was, but I was suffering a lot and I was, I was damaging myself a lot really in isolation and just by being irresponsible with, um, with drugs and alcohol. Uh, but I eventually like the, the harm of that accumulated to the point where I was, I was suffering quite a lot. And then I met my, uh, Lauren, who's, 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 who's now my wife. Um, and, uh, I sort of, I guess, started making a transition from my late prolonged adolescence into something like an adult, like world where I was going to like have a plan for my life. And we started coming up with this plan to, to move out here and, and, uh, and start a farm. And, uh, and, uh, going through a particularly hard time. Well, so first of all, I, uh, I, I got, uh, I mean, I mean, Jordan Peterson, uh, I, I became aware of him. It was really before his big controversy, controversy and stuff, but kind of like just before that. Sorry, my dog is uh, messing around with garbage in the background. Um, and uh, I mean, I had already had that experience with my friends in grad school um, who just sort of revealed to me that I was in a kind of shameful way, like just begging the question against Christian people and religious people in general. And I'd had this experience of kind of disillusion with that particular style of philosophy. 
And then I started like watching Jordan Peterson's classes on YouTube. How old were you at this time, if if I may ask? Um, so this would have been 2016. 16, I want to say. Yeah, 2016. So uh gosh, that um I was 28. Yeah, 28. it's just bizarre to me how much how much like your your life and mine line up and i guess that's probably to a large degree uh, uh, a reflection of you know the circumstance that is like we're, we're from the same kind of time and place and culture but it's just weird like how i can i can well, just like point by point plot my life alongside yours and it is interesting how because we've kind of come to know each other because we've been kind of sorted through uh some very good uh and i'm glad these filters exist but we've kind of been sifted That's through exactly some of it is you know, what, you know what i mean um yeah so like the distributed cognition of like humanity as a whole now with information technology is is putting its neurons into contact with each other you know based on much more sophisticated sorting mechanisms than it's ever uh, used previously and so you're very right about that but um but yeah you were just you're yeah it was a jordan the jordan peterson way was was actually starting to crest and it it hadn't broken yet but right. but um he was he was uh you know barreling down uh right the, the right. horizon uh yeah right. um Cal, can I can we pause for just one moment? Let's, I want yeah, let's to... take a break. Let's take a five minute break. And, Perfect. Um, that sounds uh, great, and... actually. Yeah. Okay. Let's. I'll pause the recording. Minecraft. Oh, I almost got that on, on record. You were playing. You what did you say? You're playing Minecraft. I was playing my. I was being a complete parody of myself and 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 playing Minecraft. Um. So. Um, well, where were we? We were discussing how you you were just in a period in your life where kind of things had fallen apart in some sense. Like it was chaotic, but you like it, it was you had. But Jordan Peterson was kind of on the horizon. And um, yeah. Yeah, I. And I, I was thinking about it and, and one thing. Like I kind of realized that, I, you know, I quit grad school and I, I went and I worked for my aunt out in Wyoming uh, on her ranch for a little while and I moved out to Chicago and I kind of realized that it, instead of studying, so I, I told you about how I, I studied physics and math and biology and ended up in philosophy. I should have just been like studying writing because that was really what I was, I was interested in. And I was interested in um, like story and, uh, and, and uh, like I, I was interested in philosophy as like the, the, the background of like a life story. I don't know how to explain it exactly. I mean, that it's just, again, like, having to explain what should make perfect sense but in our weird society like has to be explained but you you were into philosophy because you assumed it was relevant 
to people <laughs> and their yeah. purposes. Yeah, um, exactly, exactly, yeah. And uh, and so, and then I, when I was living in Chicago, I kind of like, I was kind of like trying to be a nihilist. Yeah. Like th there's so much of it and, and, and maybe you understand where I'm, com where, I'm, where I'm coming from with this, but like, I feel like it's a, it's a male thing in our society where it's like, you're always trying to like be that guy. You know what I mean? Like I, I would, so I, I was like trying to be that philosophy teacher guy. And then I moved to Chicago. I was trying to be this like outcast artist guy. Um, and I wasn't, but I wasn't doing anything. I was just <laughs> sitting around smoking pot. And, uh, but I ended up meeting this girl and, and we were making plans to like, you know, live in a serious way. Like, you know, we we're gonna go and um, be farmers and, and, you know, raise a family and stuff. Uh, and so like, <clears throat> it was really serious time. Um, and really what I'm trying to get, it was like, I had to stop trying to like be some like movie guy almost you know what I mean it's like in in my life story in my head up to that point I was always trying to like like crystallize my role and instead it was like oh no actually you need to like be a person in the world like living a particular life and so that's when um I discovered Jordan Peterson and it's funny because um, I don't really follow him that much anymore. It's not because I had like a falling, like any kind of falling out with him in any, in any way, like something that he did troubled me. Um, but he, when, when I think about how many of the things that like define my interests now philosophically are, are things which he directly introduced me to and like because I I watched his personality psychology class I watched his maps meaning class I watched like multiple years of it like I took it seriously like I would I would watch it like the 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 current year one when it was coming out I, I would watch it and I would take notes like I was like I was really taking it seriously um and he was, amongst other things, he was taking like Nietzsche seriously. He was, he talked about Dostoevsky and I really had no understanding of, I, I was, I was barely aware of like, I knew that he wrote Crime and Punishment, which I had never read. And now Dostoevsky is like, I don't know. Um, he's like a very, he's like a very dear friend of mine now. But at the time, I was completely contemptuous of, of all that stuff. Um, and he took religion seriously. And I was like, okay, like, I've been kind of wanting to figure something out about this. But there's been no avenue into it. Like, from if you want to get religious from an analytic background, um, you become a nihilist. 
like that's where it goes if you're going to get human and real about the philosophy like it goes to this place where like everything is real um and like really nothing matters it's not just like nothing matters in that like oh we live in a chaotic world where like who can know what their real place in that world is it's like no we inhabit a a reality that's just like bursting at the seams with gray horror like there is nothing you can do period yeah that that new atheism is a little bit like well it's it's just a continuation of the enlightenment project and what you're saying is uh, if you if you follow that project long enough, you realize that like it has to undergo its own deconstruction and terminate in nihilism, and then after that, it's that's it's only in that ground that the the seed of spirituality can can grow, or you just die there. Yeah. Um. You don't psychologically evolve beyond that point. And and I. I, I grew up around people who were very, like, uh, like flawed people, but everyone in my life was oriented towards, towards the good. And really now I think of it as being oriented towards God. Um, even though, like, my mom and dad were not explicitly religious, like, in my deep self, that... The, the love of our family was still very real to me. And that never really got screwed up. Um, in some ways it got, it came close to getting screwed up. Like, you know, finding out that your parents are not perfect or, and are actually maybe have, you know, people with, you know, very real problems that can be traumatic, but, I was never in, I don't feel like I was ever really in danger from nihilism in the way that nihilism really is a, a serious danger to a, to a lot of people. For whatever reason I had, and, and there were people in my mom's family, her whole, whole family had experienced this horrific car accident when she was a, a young child. And so from that experience and remaining together as a family, they were, they were always very strong people morally. And, and, and good examples. So when I got down to the depths of that, really, I just, I became a kind of insufferable and, and dramatic person who was doing serious harm to himself. But um, I was lucky, I was lucky. And I, 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 I do think about that. And I, I know that there are, like, I, I really can't even imagine the condition of nihilism for a person who is also, for instance, experienced practically no like deeply positive relationships. Like that's a seriously horrible idea. Um, and it's killing a lot of people, I think. Uh, but like, so, and, and part, and the, the realization of that, and just the, the pointless 
you know, the pointlessness of that, of that life that I thought it would be so like free to just be a poor anonymous dude in, in a big city with no responsibility, but it was, um, well, a lot of dark seeds got planted in me that didn't, that didn't need, and it was just because I was, I was bored. I had chosen like nothing, but anyway, I, 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 I lucked out again. Um, and I met a person who actually wanted to like plan a life with me. Um, and that was very overwhelming. Uh, and so Jordan Peterson also, and like the big part, the biggest part of his public message is this very direct and compassionate attention being paid to people who are struggling to find meaning in life. And so that was like directly pointed at me. Uh, that was kind of like that demographic. And it, there are a lot of fun names that have been invented for that demographic online, but uh, the one that always sticks with me because it was the most hurtful when I heard it was fail son, um, which was described as a young white male who has failed to find their place in capitalism. Um, and I was definitely, I was that demographic. Yeah, I can see you've got... Well, I, I always kind of assumed the fail son was from... Uh, something like a, a more upper middle class background where it's like he had some standard to uh, you know like there was some high let's say economic standard that he didn't live up to and right. I don't know if your parents were I don't know if they were like extremely successful and rich uh, no, it doesn't far seem from it. like they were kind of seems to me that you're like a, I don't know just like an even keel son it just <laughs> kind of at oh, the same actually, level as your that parents. Actually, that, but, that but, means but, a lot to hear that. Yeah. But 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 I mean, like, I think that might be the I, 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 you know, there aren't there aren't rigorous definitions for terms like these, and that was always more my own understanding of fail son. Well, but, it's um, interesting though. Cal. But it, it you can you can describe it as like, oh, I didn't find my place in capitalism. It's like because where I find the failure in that narrative for me is. Uh, and it doesn't fit into that definition that includes capitalism because for me, the failure was moral mm -hmm. because, you know, my parents both, both did struggle with things and uh, had to persevere. And I had partly because I had learned this, but partly because I wanted to learn it. I, 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 I felt like persevering was like a joke, like, a boomer joke like the real deep person acknowledges that there's no battle to be won and that it's um you know there's nothing you can do there's nothing you can do um in the and there's nothing you can do in the most profound way of saying that there's no you and that there's nothing that that you that doesn't exist can can do or could do. Yeah, that's why the devil is such a cruel adversary because he will convince you of that, and then when you're out there failing because it was your understanding that that uh, 
pretending as if there was such a thing as success was uh, a sort of unconscionable mistake. While you're out there failing by default, the devil is going to hurt you with a, a, a phrase like, oh, now look at you, you're, you're a complete failure. You're, you're, you're a fail son. And that, Cause that's really how the devil is. Yeah. Well, and that's why that's that, that's why that, that epithet stuck when I heard it was because I've heard it before. Yeah. I've been, I've been saying it like a mantra to myself over and over again for like 15 years. Um, like uh, every step of the way, uh, this has failed, which means you have failed, which means here's a panorama, here, here's a panoramic view of all the potential that was lost. And all the, the success would have been working 18 hours a day in a law firm and someday becoming partner, having more money than you know what to do with and yet having nothing. Um, right. You know, like, so, so, so how does one win the game? Uh, right. If, right. If, 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 if both failure and success are, are, are failure, then, you know, right. there's nothing you can do. Yeah. But, but, yeah. but the, the, the devil doesn't want you to even see that he wants to just put you in that confusion. And then when you're in that confusion, then if you can start taking apart your mind with substances, or just with just like bad sleep hygiene, like um, there's any anything anything to introduce chaos where now you can't even you you can't even make sense of what's happening around you, like then right. that's when he can really. Um, that's when the the fun for him. That's that's when that's where the fun really begins uh, for 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 Satan. But um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so th thank goodness for Jordan Peterson. I, uh, I don't know. There were just know. so many of us who, for whom he did the same thing. There was like, we all, we all started as like new atheists. And yeah. then we realized that, 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 that culminated in, in, in meaninglessness. And then, and Peterson came along and showed us that the way that we were reading scripture, the, the whole way, the, our whole literalistic understanding of Christianity was, was beginning from these flawed premises. And that, you know, the, the real proper starting place for Christianity was the, the existential condition in which we found ourselves after, uh, after the, the Enlightenment project with which we began showed itself to be intellectually bankrupt and morally bankrupt every every sense so yeah there was and it was it was it was enough for me to just really if i if i remember it, it was enough for me to just hear a smart person say positive things about uh a, about religious perspective and that's what i try to tell because some of my friends at the time were kind of alarmed uh and appalled at my association with Jordan Peterson because they were here reading about him in the New York Times and stuff. Um, and, and, and the thing that I always tried to drive home was that it's like, I don't really even think of Jordan Peterson as being like a, like a thinker. Like I think of Nietzsche being a thinker or Plato being a thinker or Kierkegaard, like, 
I think of him as being like a, a, one of my favorite professors because like my other favorite professors, they um, enthusiastically and in a way that was directed towards me in, in like a positive way. Like I'm, I'm here to show you some things that uh, might be useful to you. And I actually think that maybe you could make some good use of these and, and, and do something. Like, and, and watching his lectures reminded me of that feeling again. And uh, I felt just like, uh, like, a, a, like a completely, uh, like, like a big weight had been lifted up. Um, but uh, shortly after that, uh, some, some very negative things happened in my life. Um, and uh, my, at, at the time, girlfriend, she, she, she's now my wife, but at the time we, we ended up separating because I was not handling it well. And uh, I'm glad that I had had exposure to his sort of affirming, but it, it wasn't really, it wasn't really enough. And I, uh, I, I, I was just like in chaos, like what you were describing, like, like, um, like Satan's playground. <laughs> um, we're just, who knows from moment to moment, what kind of terror is gonna be there. Um, but I was lucky because I, I had learned from, um, Jordan Peterson that like suffering is a thing that like a lot of people experience and that there are ways of, of fighting it. Um, that's very important to, to believe that. And I didn't really believe that before. I kind of thought that like suffering was the thing that correct understanding brings on a person and it sort of makes you more deep. You know what I mean? It's like the suffering artist um, is like full of this, this horrible truth. And like, uh, if they're being, uh, if they're gonna continue to be authentic, they're gonna be suffering. But I, I started, I, I kind of started calling out in my heart. Um, and one time I asked out loud, I was like, is there even any possibility that I'm, I'm strong enough to survive? And I, I felt and saw like a, a golden like arrow that was just like surging up. And it, it was, I remember at the time like my first thought was like, you are not going to believe that this happened like very soon you're not going to be able to convince yourself that you experienced something like this in this way um but it was a very simple feeling it, it was not like a vision it was like somebody saying like of course like there's so much strength 
that's right that's just right here and you just have to ask like it's it's just right here 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 and it like i i survived that happening that that, that time and i i reconciled with with lauren and you know and now we're here like we 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 started a, a, a farm and a, and a business together. Like it went, things went the right way. Um, and, and, and the problem was healed. Uh, and, you know, once again, it's like, I, I, I had never been really tested before in that way. And, I, and so I haven't had the experience of, of going through something like that and it, and it not working out except in very like minor ways with like previous relationships. It had never been like my life has been torn apart. But the one time that that has really happened, I got, I, I had a friend. And, uh, and that was when it really got serious. Where I was really like, you know, holy cow, like I think I actually might like believe in something and you you've got to understand where because it's and it still is like talking about it right now i'm like what are you how are you talking don't you can't talk like that you can't you can't talk about god like that or about like feelings like that like that's all stuff that like weird like uh like evangelicals like that's all like that's like church people like still like in my in my deep like dispositions just from habit it's it's just it's hard to like admit that kind of thought or experience into my life still do you kind of know what i mean um but from from that point on i was on a trajectory spiritually. Uh, and I, I started to like admit that to other people. Uh, but it wasn't Christianity for a long time. It was still, well, it feels like a long time. For like two or three Sorry, my dogs are running by for like two or three years at least. Um, so <clears throat> we uh, we moved out here on my like on my thirtieth birthday, um, <clears throat> and uh, I love living out out here in the country. Um, but there's still been a lot of like challenges just because like i'm i'm living my life in a very different context than it's ever been lived before like i'm in charge of things and like i have to like be responsible and like the future hangs in the balance um but i've also been very uh isolated uh and that's had good and bad features 
Um, one of the bad features is that when you're alone, uh, you're, you're not really alone. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, so I had a number of experiences, uh, spiritual experiences that were, uh, evil in character. Uh, I don't, um, indulge in, uh, in trying to figure out what relationship my experiences have to the powers and principalities uh, mentioned in the Bible. That's been a kind of a, a bad road for me to try to go down in my mind and figuring out if I've interacted with demons or whatever. Um, but I had negative experiences that were sufficiently evil in character uh, to make me think the, that way. Um, and it was because I was by myself, kind of out in the middle of nowhere with a lot of time on my hands and, uh, choosing to spend that time in as isolated a way as possible. So, um, I have in the past had bad experiences where I was sort of inundated with unwanted uh, imagination. Uh, and I began to experience huh. Okay, so here's actually, here's, I think, how it happened. I was struggling with this idea that I was a believer. I live in a kind of, uh, a Christian part of the country. I mean, it's rural America, so it's a Christian part of the country. So I am around a lot of Christian believers who, who believe in a very kind of traditional American Christian worldview. Um, I was trying to understand if maybe I was becoming a Christian. Um, and if that was because of the people I was around or if there was some deeper reason. Um, and around that time, I began to have uh, unwanted experiences of images of uh, close members of my family uh, being tormented in hell. For, uh, because my family are not in any way like traditional Christian believers. Um, I think my mom may identify in some ways with, 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 with Christian faith, but I don't know if she would identify as a Christian. The question um, that was sort of forced on me was, if you're going to believe this way, you're going to need to believe that these things are going to happen. Um, and that it's good. That's, that was the really terrifying element of it. And then 
that drove me away from any kind of desire to be associated with a traditional Christian framework. But then I began to, for some reason, think in terms of Louisian modal realism again. And then it was like the suggestion was, in fact, your connection to this transcendent um, mode of being, what that reveals is um, this kind of truth that every that and the the, the key phrase is what was that nothing constrains reality. Nothing constrains reality. So let me show you then what's true. And the upshot of it is something like universal damnation. Like every- I can't believe what I'm hearing. This is crazy. This is so, this is so much like the devil. And this is like so well articulated. Something, similar things occurred to me, like these intrusive thoughts, but like this is, this is just like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I like, I have, I have no way to describe like how I'm reacting to this right now, but, but I'm sorry if I interrupted your, your, no, I'm glad, the, kind I, of I, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, well, glad, I, I'm glad that it's making sense, but um, it's making all too much sense. It's just like, this is such classic diabolism, like such, such um classic Satan chess. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it was like the final choice of it was. Uh, it's like if God but, can exist, then nothing's off the table, my friend. And you allow yeah, nothing, this thought nothing, into your mind. So, so now you have to entertain it. And more than that, like if you want, if you want love to survive, love this. Like you can you can love the betrayal of your close loved one like here's a way you could do it um in fact you a, must piety requires that that you that you a person who's close to me would reveal a disgust for maggots and and the word maggots would mean uh you will one day need to learn to love how terrified this person can be made of maggots. Here's how you can learn. Because that is, and in my mind, that is, if, if you're going to believe what David Lewis believed about the plurality of worlds, and you're going to maintain some kind of grip on reality in any, in any human way, you're going to have to accept that everything is good. Everything that could exist in your mind is good. Hmm. Because that's what... Yeah. So, but the thing that it made me realize, and that's why, so it was very horrible. And this was like a picture show. It was not like a, a lecture. 
Indeed. I never it heard couldn't have been a lecture. I, I never heard. It was too deep to be a lecture. Yeah. Um, but it was paralyzed. It was hideous. I can't even really. It's difficult for me to even talk about it because like there's an element of my personality that says like you're making this up like mm -hmm. this be because but i know because at the time i like i remember feeling that way about it and thinking you have to try to remember this because you are later going to be incapable of believing that but th i mean there was a day that i i was so stricken with this that I, I was almost unable to go into work. And uh, then when I did go in, I, uh, I either that time or, or some subsequent time, like it, at work, I, at the library, I was just shown the, 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 among the most atrocious things that, that have been part of my experience. Um, and that's true. Uh, I, I remember how stricken I was. My friend Nate taught me this, that, that um, uh, Rudolf Steiner said that there are two forms of deception. There's the aromatic deception, says that there is no spiritual or, or transcendent dimension um, of existence. And then there's the Luciferian deception, which acknowledges that there is a spiritual dimension to reality, but which um, substitutes some extravagant lie for the truth. And the thing is, the way the devil operates is that he uses both of these lies simultaneously. And the right hemisphere of your mind, which is out there on the rim of what you can understand, which is really in touch with spiritual reality, is telling you something true. And then the left side of your brain is going to come in and say, just you're exaggerating it this is nothing it's from nothing you're a drama queen like what is this you're you're, you're dramatizing your own existence in order to make it yes. interesting when in fact it's just it's just terminally boring and you're nothing and and so these are the two this is yeah, exactly the satanic dialogue exactly. Yes. and the thing is but that when you have the intuition about the unspeakable horror of damnation it's like that was 100% real and meaningful. And I know that because I had, I had my own uh, struggle in which, in which the exact same things were occurring, where I was experiencing things that were extremely real, uh, you know, on the spiritual dimension of reality. And always there was a, a side of me which wanted to reduce it to mere mental illness. Um, uh, and, um, and I know now how... Uh, it's 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 the devil's game, uh, and you can tell that because you can't win. Because um, either way, whichever one you succumb to, if you were to say that, oh yeah, it was just illusion, and the spiritual dimension of reality is not real, you're going to be right back at that place where things make no sense at all, yeah. and then you're just going to be fair game for the next explosion of horrific imagery and phantasmagoria. Uh, and, and the cycle just repeats indefinitely until you are broken down into, um, you know, madness. Um, 
And uh, yeah, the disintegration of human souls is, is the devil's, uh, um, what's the word I want? It's his sport. Um, uh, yeah. but, but, but yeah, like that, that, that's crazy. But like on another level, I can understand where it's coming from because it's like, if you're a Christian, then yeah, you believe that, 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 that eternal damnation is what's going to happen to all your near and dear who don't believe. Um, and if you are to be a good and pious Christian, you must approve of it because God is perfect justice. Right. Well, it is and perfect justice, which requires that, 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 that finite sins be punished infinitely for me personally. I seem to see satanic logic in that syllogism too. Well, it's a very, um, it's a very uh, effective way of, of preventing people from entering Christianity from the outside. Because unless you can come into Christianity with all of your family, uh, it requires you to choose to accept well, I'm not saying that Christianity, in fact, does this, but if that lie is true, then to be a Christian, you have to send your mom and your dad and your friends, you have to send them to hell in your mind. Oh, but what if that's just what Jesus meant when he said, better to pluck out your, your eye or cut off your hand and, right. and, and go into heaven maimed than go into Gehenna, hail and whole. Right. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm being the devil's advocate here, but because in, in reality, um, it, uh, I believe that with David Bentley Hart, that, that, that these people, however flawed or, or evil they might be, they're actually, you know, these, these people, they're, they're part of your extended well, self and that you're not so here's, without these relationships. And that if you do have to sacrifice these relationships in order to gain entry to heaven, you've right. done so at the expense of your own humanity. But here's the, and here's how that, in my experience, it's like, I, I could pluck out the eye that, that I would need to pluck out. So I could, I could, I could throw my dad into hell. But uh, when I hear, uh, before you tend to the speck in your brothers, I remove the log from your own. I hear my dad's voice. And so that has to go away. And when I think about home and love, I, re I remember them. And so it seems like to apply that scripture in that way, uh, I'm being asked to enter into heaven as something unrecognizable and I don't know how I could possibly accept that um, it doesn't seem possible to me um, especially when I can understand that scripture as applying to my body in a much more straightforward way because there are parts of my body, there are parts of my brain, there are parts of my habit that are vice gripped tight to hell and that I need to be shed of 
that seems to me to be um, a teaching from the spirit of God that you can cut those things free and come home. Not that bow before me and accept the twisted, agonized, burning flesh of your home and family, because otherwise I'm sending you there too. And that's what, because the, the madness of these questions and these things that I was being shown, it finally was, I had to say that I don't really know what the truth of any of this is. All I know is that what, if nothing constrains reality, then my will says that home and love and truth is real. And I am going to just say that. And if I have to be in hell, that's what I'll try to do. Because it's all that, it's, something has to constrain this. So if there's nothing else to do it, that effort can have my will. Um, who, who is it says that as, as, as long as there's, there's anyone still in hell then, then Christ is there or like if the, the true Christian saint says that if, if someone is in hell then shouldn't I go there too no, uh, uh, out, or at least be there with them uh, that's George, that's George like, McDonald yeah he, he said you know see that's like what that's, real what real Christian spirit wouldn't walk across a, a, an eternal desert to just bring a, a handful of water to the to the lips of someone suffering down there and it's like finally in that expression you have christianity because otherwise it's just it's just freaking power relations man you're just doing it because the the big sky dad says i'm going to torture you forever if you don't right and what I, if, if you can, if, if you have the power to do that to me and you are willing to do that to me, uh, unless, I, unless I give up, my whole frame of reference. Whole moral frame of reference. I, I can't give that up. Like, I, like it, would be a de it would be death. It would be a different thing. It, like, it I would don't, be sacrificing the real God for a, a false yes. god yes. so um and now i don't know exactly what the timeline because that that was a very that was a very crazy time um and uh but it became a lot easier for me to to think of myself as being a Christian. And at some point I just started thinking of myself that way. It's, it's crazy to me, like how, like, I think if there is a census divinitatis, then that's what it is. It's a, and, and God in some sense is, is the reality principle. He is the constraint on, on what is 
Because, you know, like against Lewis, I would say with Wittgenstein, if some worlds are, then some worlds aren't. In order to let things be, there has to be a constraint on reality. And God is that. But um, he's, he's, he's something else in addition to that. Like in the, in the movie, A Beautiful Mind, uh, John Nash's wife, uh, John Nash suffers from schizophrenia. And, you know, in some sense for him, there's no constraint on reality. And his wife says, what if the part that discerns the waking from the dream isn't here, but here? Because in my own case, when I came to God pre-rationally, pre before I even said I believed in God, it was a thing which, which, which came to me and, and, and all it told me was, 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 was that Basically, love exists. There, there is no reference to an afterlife, and you, you have to do this because otherwise you're going to burn in hell or whatever. It just, it just told me, in, in so many words, that love exists, and you're never cut off from it. You're never disinherited from it, no matter what you do. And, and, and you, you always, you always have, you always have the option to, 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 to act it out and to, and to be its vehicle. Um, and, 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 and that because so many times in what you've been saying I, I i've been wanting to ask you like who is god to you and where is he what is he um and 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 you know and, and what basis do you on whose authority and on what basis do you claim that this that this love exists if not the bible which says or seems to say so we are told that 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 perfect love requires something morally unimaginable, uh, and and but you know you're not getting this from David Lewis, and you're certainly not getting this from Dennett or Dawkins. So from whom are you getting this? Uh, you know, uh, uh, it's like come clean. Like what 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 is? Whoever told you that God that God exists and that He is good? Like, right. I, and I, I, I identify very strongly with what you were just expressing about your own experience, because I had to, because, because those, so, so when you're putting yourself in that interrogative mode there, that, that voice. So I would have these periods of, of strife and who God was, was the help that would arrive at the end so that I could actually come out of it and, and come back to the world and, and live my life without being in desperate straits all the time. Um, but then this questioning would start and it was like, well, okay, so you clearly need to believe that positive end of that experience that you've just survived is in some sense uh, deeply real. Uh, and you are identifying that feeling with the expression present in uh, religion and specifically in Christianity, which is the uh, religious tradition that you're sort of most proximal to. Um, is there any reason for us to accept this uh, as anything more than um, just a uh, 
expedient solution to an, a, an, a serious issue of mental illness. Um, and that would, at first, the easy solution to that voice is to just kind of admit, yeah, I think I was just going, going through something. Um, but then the question opens up, okay, well, then what, uh, at what state is our belief then? That's crazy. This is because this is another thing that I wanted to ask you and that I didn't. But you said that this is you said that at this time I started believing in God and admitting it um, in, in conversation with people. And I wanted to ask you, what made you cop to that? What made you admit that and, and be understood as, as somebody's fool? You know, rather than, uh, you know, continue to let it be known that you're, you're too smart to fall for such uh, uh, childish um, uh, lies. Well, part of it is just because I started to feel a little bit incensed by uh, anyone who showed contempt for like a belief in God because I knew now that I could sort of be indexed as a person who has had those sorts of beliefs. But then part also is just how, uh, how important it was and how, um, because I never, I, from the moment I started having these, I don't criticize other people's like religious orientation anymore. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that a person has um, belief because I know that uh, whatever that belief is um, from a, a objective perspective, it at least provides them with uh, maybe some comfort from these particular kinds of, because one of the things that came to, that came back to me again and again, as I was undergoing these experiences was I never even knew how bad a person could feel. Like I, I never, I never knew how horridly evil a thought could be uh, before I considered the possibility of like, you know, one of my childhood dogs being tormented in hell forever, for instance just that thought alone and the possibility of that thought was so horrible um, coming from a background where like, you know, at least people die, you know, like at, at least your pain dot at like ends when you die. So I, and so part what of me what wanted fascinates me about what you told me so far and pardon me for so many interruptions. If you can believe no, it, I mean, it's just an expression of, of my, of my tremendous interest. But in the beginning of what you told me, when you were sort of in that new atheist um, intellectual current, you wanted to lead people away from religion because their own belief in hell and eternal damnation was causing them so much unnecessary misery. Then fast forward, I don't know, 10, 12, 14 years. Yeah. It's like suddenly you're there. What's going on? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's still so surreal to even admit that. I find it totally surreal too. I I, I find it totally surreal that 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 because this this God in whom I now believe I formerly only ever knew under childish descriptions or 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 um, it was only as a child that I believed in God, and 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 now and now suddenly this entity is too small a word but you know suddenly this 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 force and this reality um uh, you know are 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 back uh, in 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 the picture um and yeah I, I i i almost dissociate over that sort of like how as a child i would have moments of of profound stupefaction incomprehension what this person exists so my brother like his name is this so almost like when you forget how to spell the word the they call it semantic satiation, where suddenly the radical contingency of things is 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 borne in upon you, and right. and and you no longer take for granted something. The, the, the arrangement of whose circumstances is is yeah. rather improbable when you scrutinize it objectively. Yeah. Um, but but it's like sometimes I do have that moment of dissociation. What you mean that dream I had when I was a child? This this kind of fantasy. You mean that that is real? I don't yeah. see any God here. Right. You know, I, all I see is a parking lot. <laughs> right. It's ordinary. Yeah. 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 And that uh, that's why I mean I. I've been thinking recently and it's like my experience of Christianity at least so far has been a, a period of some of the most terribly negative emotions I've, I've ever experienced. That's something I think some people fail to understand about uh, religion is that it's some kind of like uh, all purpose balm that just like removes I, th I, I think some people accept a certain form of religion that is kind of that which is just sort of everything hunky-dory uh you don't need to worry about it because it's all taken care of but my experience so far has while i don't obviously i i, I still identify as a christian and, and more than ever but uh it's not been uh, a pleasant experience <laughs> um I'm still very early on in my, I'm, I'm not where I need to, 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 to end up at least, you know, God, God willing, I have a chance to continue on learning. Um, but there, there's a constant feeling um, that, that, it, that intrudes into these thoughts. That's just like, the way you're feeling and thinking right now is not the ordinary way. And this is disconnected from um, you. And who are you now? And like, I don't know, sometimes I don't know how to relate to, to like a movie that I, that, that I used to enjoy from, you know, 10 years ago. Now I might watch it and have some kind of disquieting problem with, uh, with with some like sex act that's being depicted because my my outlook on uh, sex is different than it, than it was 10 years ago um, it's very disorient 
what I would say to you, I, I'm sorry if this is intrusive or like not quite in, in the, the rhythm or the melody of what you've been saying, but if, if God is love, then by that fact, you know that Jesus is his son. And when you don't understand yourself or your situation or anything at all, and what it all is, it, it, it threatens to come apart as like this kind of, you know, horrifying meaninglessness. Jesus, Jesus beckons and you don't know who he is or how he can be human and God, but, but you, 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 you enter into that mystery. That's, that's the time when, cause I mean, you can, you can offer some pretty nice proofs that God exists, but right. Um, like I, I don't know how the hell that gives you Jesus, and that that exactly. that he was that he was a he was a, a you know a Jew from the first century, and he and he exactly. actually came back. To I life used to ask my my Christian friends about that in grad school. I was like, well, even if I accept this argument, like the ontological argument, I could never make sense of it really. But I was like, okay, well, even if I accept the conclusion, um, like, or I'm not Christian. Like there's, there's still like an unending ocean of, of possibility, like what, what this could mean. And they weren't able to explain it to me, uh, but I understand it now. I understand it now. Um, it's why I have such a hard time. Like I, I, like I, I haven't really talked to either of my parents about uh about this change that's this big change that's occurred to me but it's partly because i don't have any idea how to really express it like i don't know how to bring it into their frame of reference and probably what i would find and when i when i inevitably do because you know i i love my parents very much and i'll find that there's there probably are points of reference that they can um that they can identify, but yeah, it's like, there's a, there's a, there's, there was a leap. There was a, there was a, there was a, a gap that I got through or over. And it was like, it was like, it was like, uh, it was like entering an atmosphere in a, in a space capsule. It was like, and then now here I am, you know, um, and I, I, I would, I would go looking for. I, I start. I finally started to actually sort of go oh, looking for some like arguments about this stuff because I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to identify as Christian, I should at least like know something about this, uh, and like may, maybe there there are like arguments that it's rational to think in this way. Like maybe there's something. Well, it turns out that there are a ton of there's like and there, there's like a, a mountain of rational justification that exists if you're if if that's if that's your taste. Um, and I have periodically had to go back and learn more about arguments for the existence of God or arguments for the historicity of Jesus or it, it, any of these sort of what I think of as being rational stumbling blocks. 
um, the role of philosophy in my life has completely changed to being like, it, rather than looking at religion as being some kind of like panacea for like pain I'm not willing to accept, I look at philosophy much in that way, in that way much more now. It's like when I am troubled by this, this questioning voice, it is good to have philosophy to fall back on. Um, and finally, I, the, the final crisis, and this is shortly before I got, I, I met you. Um, I, I had, I had stayed up all night because the, uh, the phantasmagoria was back and like, now it was like, well, you're a Christian now. So, uh, you remember that YouTube video that you recently watched? I, 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 it was, it's a prominent, uh, fairly prominent. I, I mean, there are all these weird corners of Christian YouTube. I don't know how to navigate uh, the, the world of Christian culture at all. <laughs> I'm almost a total outsider still. Um, but like, I saw this video of a guy talking about hell. He was, he was dispensing with the myth that C.S. Lewis was a universalist by talking about how in the great divorce um, after uh, darkness falls in hell, that's when they'll come out and he smiled. And I couldn't, I couldn't like the smile that came up on his face. I was like, what am I, what have I fallen in league with? Like, and, the, and then it was like, no, this is what you have to accept now. This is a smart guy. He's got, a big beard and he's on YouTube. He's got a, um, a lot of people listen to this guy. Um, and I was so, I was once again, just so lost. And I, I just do, I was like, forgot, I, I, cause, cause in my mind I had, because, so I read, I read David Lewis. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I read, uh, um, uh, CS Lewis. It's funny. David Lewis and C.S. Lewis are like right next door to each other on my book. I was thinking that as well. <laughs> but um, the great divorce really helped me because I never, I never want to place myself above other people. I, I, I don't. And so I was like, you can't just like throw out everything that everybody says about hell because it's unpleasant to you. Because what you're saying is that you are more in, in connection with God or you are a deeper Christian or you're a better thinker than these people. And I read uh, The Great Divorce and for a lot of people, I think it has the same effect where it's like, okay, I can understand this doctrine from a different perspective that isn't so crude and about retribution. And it's, it's more about the human psychology and the psychology of evil and stuff. Um, but then, I mean, even with the rather hopeful conclusion of that, and even though I, from, from that book, I was exposed to George MacDonald for the first time, there was still this element where I was like, no, I think we've got to still believe this. And then I saw that video and the smile on that guy's face. And for whatever reason, that was like, I was right back in, in the mix where it's like, nope, this is what this means, and you're gonna have to see this, and you're gonna, and you're going to know when you see this happening that it's good. 
again, for whatever it's worth, just my, my two cents, and it's only really occurred to me now, after hearing you say all that she said, there's the God that you can understand. You can derive him from philosophy or you can derive him from the Bible. And if you want that God, it's relatively easy to get there. Not totally easy. Um, you know, the, 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 the devil can, can still throw some stumbling blocks along that way and perpetrate the Arimanic deception on you. Um, if he finds the opportunity to do so, but it's relatively easy to reach that shore. But right. that God that you understand, calling God the Father, but understood as like the divine clockmaker, that God cannot save you. Christ is the God that you do not understand. And it's like only that God can save you. And only only that God is is actually the the image of the Father. But but I would submit that there's no there's no cut and dried algorithm um, or, or or cookie cutter approach that is is going to just give you Jesus, give you right. that that living mystery. Fully and even defined. even having like an attachment to. Because it's like, even at the beginning of The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis is like, this is, this is just a fantasy. I'm not even trying to speculate about what the afterlife is like, and I don't like that. But even with that, even remembering that, if you, you attach and are sucked into this particular person's thought, and you come out of it like having identified with so uh, much of it, and you think like, well, now this is what I have to be a part of. Like, that is a mistake. Um, it's a mistake ever to identify God with your, with any picture that you've ever contained in your mind. Um, so yes, I, 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 that's very important. And that was a point which C.S. Lewis himself made many times. And then I have that same issue reading Lewis, not necessarily about his, his views on, on hell, but, but um, you know, sometimes I, I feel like I come away reading, because I love C.S. Lewis. I loved him when I was an atheist. And I had read like all his, I had read like half his works already as, a, as, a, as an atheist, but sometimes I come away feeling too identified with, with his position. And, and, and it's one which, which I don't, with which I don't fully agree because I have my own conception. But of course, I wouldn't claim that my own conception of God is the final right. uh, uh, re 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 representation of God. And, and, and so, and, but yeah, no, I, I, I completely get what you're saying. Um, but, so, but that, so, so that night... I stayed up all night because I saw this guy smile. Um, and then I was, I was, because I had convinced myself that because C.S. Lewis changes George, uh, George MacDonald to say that you shouldn't be a universalist. I mean, he more or less explicitly has George MacDonald's like recant his universalism, which, you know, I love that book, but I really don't like that he did that with, with George MacDonald. But that's a it's kind of a separate discussion. I had sort of 
put the idea of universalism out of my mind on purpose. I was like, okay, that's an, that's self-indulgent for you to think that you get to believe that. And, but finally that night I was like, I'm going to search YouTube for uh, universalism. Maybe there'll be somebody I, I had sort of started, I had associated it with very touchy feely, warm, positive emotion, uh, uh, Christianity, which I distrust for being too frothy, kind of like. Um, but I found a David Bentley Hart interview, and I listened to about forty seconds of it, and then I went and downloaded his his book on it, and I listened to it that day. I just listened to uh, I I was sitting and performing various chords, and just totally. And the wonderful thing about that book um, that all shall be saved is that it is not an emotionally driven book about how terrible the beliefs are. He touches on that here and there, but it's mostly just a rather dry, um, kind of incredulous, like slightly incredulous that it's even an issue. Um, thorough and rational argument. Um, and after I finished that, I felt, um, I, I felt okay being a Christian. I was like, I'm a Christian because it's okay for me to, because there, this is a position that you can hold, not just because you're hysterical, but because it's a deep tradition in the church. I can, I can, I can just enter into this conversation as, as somebody identifying with this side of things. I'm, I'm on team Christianity. And I, and then I started to actually like read the Bible more seriously. And from the perspective that I got from that book, I just, I, I was, I read the gospels and uh, I just didn't find hell in there anymore because I was able to understand that it's like the way, like you look at the parable of the sheep and the, and the goats you can only understand that the way it's taught if you've been taught that way, because it's a, it's a parable. It's a story about sheep and goats. Like he doesn't. I think, I think that's, I think that's the correct interpretation ultimately is to say that this is a parable. It's part of a set of uh, mutually contradictory images from which we should understand that, you know, Jesus wasn't laying down the definitive teaching on hell when he was offering these. But if you want to get like, if you want to get hard nosed, uh, or if you want to approach this in a in a sort of uh, you know technical or objective fashion, you know what I would say is you know, the, the way the argument usually goes is is um, Ionios. Okay, well let's grant for the sake of argument that Ionios means what it says of the age, i.e., not eternal. It's pertaining to an age. Yet in the parable of the sheep and the goats, Ionios is applied to the life and the punishment the life of the sheep, the punishment of the goats. Um, therefore, we should understand that unless this word is being equivocated in the same verse, the punishment of the goats is eternal because the life you have in Christ is eternal. The problem there is that if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, 22, as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. Either we accept that a quantifier can be equivocated in the same verse, or we just have a straight up contradiction because Matthew 25 teaches eternal hell and and um and uh uh first corinthians 15 22 teaches um uh, 
uh, universal salvation. So, so it's, it's like, um, I, I don't know if, if that's useful for you to hear or not. Because like on some level, I've been saying that, like, you know, I think there's good reasons to believe that God exists. I think there's good reasons to believe in universal salvation. But in some level, gosh, it's the same mistake to say that this is going to sound so weird. But if, if concluding that God doesn't exist because he can't be proven scientifically is a mistake, then it's like the same mistake to assume that universalism can't be true because I can't find like the kind of yeah. straightforward Bible study sort of a, approach for it. It's like, this is something in order to see its truth, you have to, you have to, you have to see with your heart. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's it's like, if you keep relying on your head and not your heart, then it's like, you still don't trust God to be who he says he is. It's like, I'm the best. I'm the best thing ever. I'm the best thing you can conceive. I am. I am. Uh, well, and, and you end up, you end up having all kinds of thoughts about uh, equivocation and uh, translation. And I mean, instead of deriving comfort from, your religion instead of like understanding something about your life that needs to change. Like that's a story he told people. And this is something that Sherry point, pointed out to me. This is a story that he told people who knew sheep and goats on a day to day basis as part of their essential livelihood and that's the level that i want to experience his teaching at is the level where he is telling me that there is that there are important distinctions to be made about what you do and how you relate to other people there are important choices to be made about that. And, I, and my role is to gather you up and show you where to go on a path, not in a direction, but on a path. That's a, where you walk and you go in your life. And the rational stuff, the arguments, and the because I can do that and I learned how to do it, it's a big like part of my brain that gets a lot of sway. And I need it's 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 I don't need it, but I I it is so expedient and helpful and useful to have the permission of that part of my brain to listen to the teachings of Jesus. And I get stumble, I stumble, I get tripped up when I either ignore or try to negotiate with that part of my brain. And so I, I really, in moments of deep, what I would describe I was the, the moments of deep faith that I'm even capable I'm still very early on. I know I, I have a strong sense that I'm very early on in my understanding of this stuff. 
but the deepest I get with it is when once that stuff is shut up. And I can just pay attention to, I don't know, the stuff that takes your breath away and, and makes you silent. And after I listened to David, uh, that David Bentley Hart book, I, I, I have not really engaged with any like theological struggling. I listened, I listened to George MacDonald all the time, the LibriVox recordings of unspoken sermons. I listened to those. And I think in the way that comes most naturally to me in terms of simple, like the simple human story of Jesus, because that's the level at which I relate to him as a friend, is as a, a, the, 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 the absolute like clarity of the reality and significance of life that I get from the idea that I could see him walking down the road. And all the metaphysical framework, the very, very deep and beautiful idea of what that it meant for him to be a man and be God, that's present in my mind as a kind of like crystal that's beautiful and that I know was like walking, like that had shoes on and was walking. Like, and that, so it's like, that. that's why I, identify so strongly with so many of the people that you've introduced me to because it seems to be like this uncanny like meeting point of because there's a lot of very deep theology that um that I've been exposed to through you and and through Luke and 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 Nate and but there's also this like urgent, immediate appreciation of like just the, the here and now-ness of, of all of it. And that's the part that is so important. To, and it's really like, that, that's like the, the religion to me is it like puts me in life. I, I don't have to be objective about life. And it's not abstract I, anymore. It takes form. It takes a concrete yes. and physical form. And the form that it is, is the hand that reaches above the water. As you're drowning underneath the water, the form that it, is, it takes is the hand of Jesus that, that, that you clasp onto and that lifts you out. Yeah. It all, it all crystallizes. And, and, um, and, and, the, it, it, and, you know, takes form you know in in that in that way but i really don't know how i arrived at the at the point where i'm accepting things in these terms i don't I, either it's 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 and i we were talking about this we were talking about doing this 
talk and I was worried about it because I just, I just don't know how to explain. I don't know how it happened at all. Like even tracing back through that story, it seems to me like there's a crucial like element in there that I'm not, um, but I, but honestly, it doesn't bother me at all. Something on the surface that you must have missed because I still don't, I still can't make any final sense of this picture. Let me tell you how I started believing in Jesus. I was uh, just reading a lot of the Bible and listening to uh, and navigating Christian YouTube for reasons I couldn't articulate to myself. It was just a compulsion. I was in speech therapy grad school. I would come back after my classes and, 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 and practicum exhausted. And then I would just be just, just searching this stuff compulsively. And I listened to a video of Doug Wilson saying that he was explicating the theology of Jonathan Edwards. And he said that Jesus is God. Jesus is God's idea. Jesus is God's idea of himself. And after I heard those words, if you had asked me, do you believe that Jesus is God? Because that was the whole thing I couldn't get my mind around. I could believe in the God of the Old Testament as really just the, you know, God as the reality principle and nothing more, the brute stipulation of what is and what must be accepted. And yes, it's like chaotic and terrible sometimes. And that's just, that's just the, 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 the capricious nature of Yahweh. Deal with it. Uh, I could believe in that God, but not the God who actually, what, touchy-feely, cares about you, becomes a human, gets nailed to a cross. What is that? And then after, after Doug Wilson said that, if you'd asked me, I would say, I don't believe that. I don't believe Jesus is God. But I went outside and I, and I was nauseated. And I was just smoking cigarette after cigarette, which doesn't help nausea. But um, because I did believe it. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why I believed it after he said that. But after that, I believed in Jesus. And I prayed to Jesus, well, if you're real. I never, I guess, if I had read and I forgot thou shalt not put your God to the test. I said, well, if you're real, take this from me. And he did. And even after that, I still didn't believe. And there are times when, 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 when you ask me to make sense of the incarnation, I find that that's, that's the greatest and most difficult part. And it's precisely like, this is, the only, this is why Christianity is true and not merely some religion which I can wrap my mind around because in this in this jesus there is there is there is the true god as opposed to the god as opposed to my own concept of god yeah i i thank you so much for your time because you were able to articulate so much better than I uh, the, 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 I mean, it's incredible. I, I, I can't, I can't verbalize it the way that you did, but Jesus walking on the road, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, you know, and that his disciples, they don't recognize him. And Jesus tells them of, of all the places in the Old Testament that his coming was, was heralded, but, but in, in whose hermeneutic was this properly um, uh, interpreted and deduced? Not that of the rabbis. The rabbis are reading the Bible the right way. 
the, 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 a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, that's a mistranslation from the Septuagint. Alma just means a young woman in the Hebrew. Um, uh, there, you know, uh, uh, the, the Messiah, he's going he's gonna to be totally spiritualized and he's not going to have an earthly kingdom. That's not the Messiah on whom we wait. This is a this is a false theology, the, you know, and, and I think the only way you can really derive Jesus is with the hermeneutic of love. It takes a different hermeneutic. It's not it's not a Sunday school hermeneutic. It and and um, because if it were, then it wouldn't be the Bible wouldn't wouldn't be for sons of God, if it if it if it were just to spoon feed us the answer. Then it would just be for servants or autom automata, automatons. But it's there because it's the way it is because you have to wrestle with it. And ultimately, your theology has to be, in my opinion, it has to be derived based on considerations of God's nature. That's right. the, It's not based on, oh, I think the author's intent at this time and place to this audience was this, and he could not have envisaged anything like a trinity because historically... It would be an anachronism to read that concept back in there. No, it's like it's like the way that you decide what it means is based on like the highest conception that you can form of the goodness of God's nature. And, yes. um, and George MacDonald yep. does that. And he's like yes. kind of the only guy who does that. And like, that's right. why, yeah. I, yeah, it's, I go back again and again and again and again. Like, it's like, it's like a, it's, it's funny because it's, I, I, even his name, George MacDonald, it makes me think of like an old, like Scottish castle. And that's what I feel like. I feel like it's like, a, I listen to unspoken sermons and it's like, I go back into this like mossy, like stone castle where it's like silent and I listen to his I listen to him talking and I remember okay this is okay this is this is what this is why I'm a Christian and this is what the doing of that is like this is how you feel it in your heart and it's the only like form of christianity that makes me want to do something like that makes me want to keep going as opposed to to making me want to oh just like forget about it. just like one way or the other just let let me have a, a bit of peace right now so uh, like smarter people will decide it no it's like it's yeah the the, the nature of god is unknowable and so you uh, you which means that like knowing it would mean you were something you were something new and so it's the approaching to that and that to me is a what is it it's like a it's it's spiritual movement which it is, is manifest as yeah, it, it manifests as thoughts and as images and a feeling. 
and a relationship. And that's, it's so, it's almost corny because people have turned it into like a catchphrase of like evangelicalism, like the, 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 the personal relationship with Christ, but it's like, it's like you need a, a human friend to help you. And that's yeah, what he is. And that's so much realer than 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 any any god of the philosophers. Yeah, right. You need a person who under who understands that you are suffering and flawed, but that you're trying to like build a house you can actually live in, and somebody who actually wants you to to have a place to, to live and 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 to have peace. Uh, and I don't, and that's the part that, that's the part, that's the leaping from the ontological argument to Christianity that I just, I really can't explain because it's so essential to me now, um, essential in a practical way. Like I bet I, I had better not let go of, of that, or I'm going to lose touch again, once again, with everything that's really been valuable, the, the only valuable things that have, have ever been in my life yeah yeah and i and i myself i lose touch with that so often and you know and in some sense every time that i lean on my own understanding then then i've actually fallen and i'm no longer no longer standing in right because who what one person has a has a worldview put together for themselves that makes sense like it's 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 narcissistic for me. Like, it's like, I really, there's a part of me that really thinks I'm so smart that if in some particular moment, I just can't figure it, figure it out, or I can't remember why it's true, that that actually makes a difference, that that actually means something. But it, I know, I know that it, that it doesn't. I was being honest with myself and my memory. And the fact that I'm not like some uh, like towering thinker, somehow in my like somehow like you come to represent the ultimate authority in your own mind it is it is some it it is itself some weird philosopher's dream that the the edifice of christianity should at the end of the day rest on nothing more than one's own mental efforts and that god needs you to to prove his existence in order for him to exist Instead of the acknowledgement that, like, just thank God that I had some kind of tool at my disposal that allowed me to claw my way, like, to, towards something genuinely good. And you start judging the product by the faulty tools that only did, like, 10% of the real work. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, oh, my gosh, it's exhausting. Yeah, it is. It's it's um. I'm mindful of your time. Right. Yeah. Because I've had you. I've had you explaining yourself for going on well over three hours now. <laughs> well, yeah. I uh, I do need to. I, I need to be wrapping up. Um, but I kind of got through the whole story, really. I think. I think Except we did. The part of the story that's left out, which which deserves to be mentioned because it's a, a crucial part of the story is that I, I was a vague sort of, a, a vaguely aware of uh, Paul, 
his name's Paul Vanderclay, right? Vanderclay. Yeah. I had that thing where you're about to mention a name you've never, you've hardly ever spoken out loud, and you're like, is that the real Paul? Paul Vanderclay. I, I I enjoy his content a lot, but I just happened to I hear him mention a Discord, and I was I don't even know I've never been on Discord or downloaded Discord or I went on Discord and I mentioned a couple th- things about myself in introduction. And I kind of made a vaguely universalist gesture and a firestorm erupted. Triggered an immediate flame. flame I was immediately out of the conversation. Like I I was just watching it happen. But you very kindly messaged me out of nowhere. And uh, through you, I've been, I've I've grown to know um, a number of people, uh, especially. especially I would say uh, Sherry and, and, and Nate and, and, and Luke um, and uh, Nate's, Kenneth is Nate's son, right? Kenneth, yes. Kenneth isn't Nate's grandfather. <laughs> I hope Kenneth sees that joke. But um, that has been just having the opportunity to just listen to because I can't tell you what, how isolated this whole experience has been from anybody, but being able to talk about it and just listen to other people struggle and articulate brilliantly sometimes, um, it's made, it's made a world, it's made a world of difference. It is another, it was another sort of leveling up. Absolutely. Gap leaping, um, so that, so and so I th- I so th- thank you very much for for that. It was a real s- stroke of grace in my life. It, it was like it was like I I dipped into the Discord and all this chaos erupted, and you literally like you swooped in like on a giant eagle and like swooped uh, out of the Discord. No, that's hilarious because because I because I, I if I actually I do remember that day and I remember that Dave Williams basically. Um, put out the bat signal um and, <laughs> i uh, forgot that dave williams was even involved so now i know uh i know i have said his name are we allowed to say i think so um uh i i I, can bleep I, it I don't out think he likes it. to show perhaps i don't think he likes to show his face in videos but i i hope that saying his name is okay because then he's he's on the discord and a lot of people there watch these videos but anyway if it needs to be edited out we can do that um but um yeah he put out uh, one of our friends put out the bat signal and that just meant, uh, I don't know, get into a pointless <laughs> uh, 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 debate. It, it was, I don't know, like, you know, uh, and, and so we did. And, and um, but, but, uh, but yeah. Whether or not he lets his name mentioned, I was, I was remiss not to mention uh, Dave before because uh, uh, he and I uh, agree that there should be a, a, a an entirely animated remake of Lord of the Rings. And it's a very mm. important opinion that I have that, uh, but yeah, Dave has also been, but yeah, that all the, that, that entire group of people um, and all your guys' content too. I, I, I haven't, I, I, I haven't had time to, you guys gen- actually generate a lot of content, but um, gosh, it's such a blessing. It's such a blessing. It's such a relief because it was kind of like that filter thing we were talking about before. It was like, I, and it was another level of narcissism where I assumed that, um, 
uh, that, that like, I was just a crazy person sort of tearing myself to shreds and, and yeah, I, nobody else gets it. But really it's like, even the experiences I had with evil, like it's, it's so remarkable to me how many people are surviving that kind of thing and much worse and coming to, even if it's not like universalism or, cause I, I'm not sure that. Yeah. Cause they're not, they're not all universalists on, on, on Luke's server and it's not really a core issue. No, but the, the common, the common thread is that the common thread is that for we, that kind of Christianity is, is, is what Jess would call a U-shaped journey sort of Christianity. Yeah. It's, you only you only get that kind of Christianity after some kind of deconstruction, and all of us went through that. That's that's the that would be the commonality. Right, right, yeah. It's so it's just it's it's been so uh, well great. It's been enlivening. So, um, and it's made me a lot more optimistic in general about just, because it's tough. It is a tough world right now. It's a difficult time that we're experiencing as a civilization, but uh, yeah, it's not all bad. No, I think that's a great note to end on, and I'm very grateful for your time. And um, after we stop recording, we can talk about what we want to do with this recording. But um, uh, thank you any to anyone who watched uh, and, and listened, and, and thank you again very much for your time. Well, thank you, Cal, and, uh, and thanks again for, yeah, for everything. Okay.